Well, good morning. Good morning. Chris and I are thrilled to be here today. Keith, thank you for you and your team, and what a challenge you've had with all the people falling like flies. A lot of sick among us. <clears throat> but thank you. Excellent job. Great worship. Elena, thank you for your thoughts this morning. Uh, helped lead me to the foot of the throne, for sure. So <clears throat> it's been a little bit of a tough week for Chris and me because there are several in this room who said we couldn't keep our thoughts to the allotted time. <laughs> you know who you are. But we negotiated an hour and a half, so we're good, right? We can do that. Yeah, we can do that. So we're going to dive right in. We're going to stick to script because it is difficult for us to get all this done in about 30 minutes. Um, so what comes to mind when you think of the word mission? For me, it's terms like determination, focus, goals, intentionality, purpose, right? Mission. Um, in our everyday lives, we hear about mission statements, vision statements, mottos, slogans, and on and on. A good mission state, a statement, a good mission statement helps bring clarity, helps bring purpose, helps to focus, helps you to work toward your goals. Have you ever thought about the fact that our God, the creator of this amazing universe, and universe upon universe upon universe, is also on a mission? He's on a mission. What do you think God's mission is? I would submit that God's mission is to reconcile and restore all mankind to himself and in unity with each other through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I think that's a pretty straightforward mission for our God, our creator. You know, it takes all three members of the Trinity to accomplish this mission. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all have different abilities, different tasks, different purpose-driven aspects of this mission. And I think as you look at it, you would think, okay, the Trinity... <laughs> They can pretty much accomplish anything, right? The three of those amazing creators can accomplish anything. But isn't it kind of cool when you think about it that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have invited us into the process? They've asked us to join them on this mission. And I think that's a pretty amazing thought. In other words, he has invited us into his community to increase the community. After months of prayer, discernment, and reading countless scriptures, we have identified, the shepherds, the discernment team, have identified what we firmly believe, believe to be God's mission for the body that worships here at 4th Avenue. It's very simple. Like Mike said last week, very straightforward. Love God. Serve others. Share Jesus. Pretty straightforward, pretty simple. But wow, there's a lot packed in that. It's like a three-legged stool, right? You take away one leg, it all comes crashing down. I think these three all lean heavily upon each other. I've heard it said that clarity is kindness. Clarity is kindness. So last week, this week, and next week, uh, we're working really hard to provide some clarity around this mission. 
Last week, Mike Webb shared a, a, a beautiful description of what it means to love God, both as individuals and collectively as a body. And he mentioned four different tenets of that, worship, prayer, obedience, and unity. This week, Chris and I will be sharing some thoughts on what the second portion, serve others. Our primary text this morning is from Luke chapter 10. There is a very powerful back and forth when an expert in the law asks Jesus, teacher, what must I do to be saved? Or what must I do to inherit eternal life? As was his custom, Jesus responded to the expert with a question of his own. And he asked him, to share his thoughts on what was written in the law. Answer your own question, what's, what's written in the law? The expert's answer was spot on. Love God and love your neighbor. Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. We are told that the expert wanted to further justify himself. That's the way it's put in my version of scripture. So he asked a follow-up question. Well, who's my neighbor? In answer to that, Jesus shared the parable of the Good Samaritan. And you know the story well. A traveler, traveling along the road, was beaten, robbed, and left to die. The religious ones, the Levite and the priest, they passed by on the other side. The so-called enemy, the Samaritan, took notice stopped and helped. As Jesus finished the parable, he asked the expert who he thought was the true neighbor. Who's the true neighbor here? And uh, he answered correctly, right? The Samaritan. That's the good neighbor. So, but Jesus went into his answer with who is the neighbor, who is my neighbor question, and he told this story to clearly illustrate the obvious answer. But then he makes a much larger point. At the end of the exchange, Jesus says, go and do likewise. We see it over and over again in scripture. Jesus didn't give the answer the expert wanted to hear. He gave the answer the expert needed to hear. And he still speaks to us in that same way today sharing the answer that we need to hear, not always the one we want to hear. And he answered the question, who is my neighbor? But he also answered, how to be a good neighbor. We are the neighbors. The opportunities to serve are all around us. Just like the Samaritan, we pass by neighbors in need every day. As neighbors who encounter neighbors, the words of Jesus to the expert in the law should echo in our hearts and minds today. Go and do likewise. This parable of the Good Samaritan and the command at the end of it, now go and do it, reminds me of a story that I'm going to share, and I've shared it before, so forgive me if you've already heard it. You get to hear it again. But when the Titans came to town, my father was an avid fan season tickets and he'd always take my son Davis to the games every Sunday they usually played at noon which meant he would go to early service 
teach his Sunday school class. He was one of the elders at the West End Church. And then he would power walk down the hall as quick as he could after class, literally undoing his tie, unbuttoning his shirt. Because underneath, like Superman, he already had on his Titans jersey. Javon Curse, he loved the freak. And he was power walking and taking off his coat. This is my father, an elder in the church. This is so embarrassing. And he would always take my son to the game. For some reason, it skipped a generation. I'd say, y'all have fun. You've always been like a father to me. See ya. <laughs> love the games, love sitting in the stands and love cheering on the team. Go Titans, go. Beat those Steelers or whoever. But as much as he loved the football, as much as he loved the team, he wasn't a player. He was a spectator. And I tell you that story because it kind of reminds me of me and maybe you, I don't know. Because I go through times in my, my life and my spiritual walk that I come to church on Sunday mornings and I put on my uniform and I come and get in the pews and in the stands, and I say, go team, go. Team Jesus, yay, beat the devil. And then at the end of the service, I go home, and I take off my jersey and hang it up in the closet, and I don't think about it again for another week. That doesn't make me a Christian any more than my father is a football player. To be a Christian, you have to get out of the stands, go down to the field, and get in the game. Now, some English teachers might disagree with me, but I think the word Christian is not a noun. I think it is an action verb. I think it denotes activity. I think it denotes movement. I think it denotes doing something. And I've got scriptural basis for this. James 2, 14 through 17. If you say you have faith but have no deeds, what good is it? And you can read it up there. The font is way too small for my aged eyes. <laughs> but basically it says if you are hungry and naked and all they get out of you is, good luck with that, be warmed and filled, but you don't do anything about it. What good is that? Or James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do more than talk the talk. It's calling us to walk the walk. Too often I hear too many people unburden themselves and share something that they need and the struggle they're going through and all they get from us and sometimes from me, I apologize, is, man, I hate that's going on with your life. I'm going to pray for you. Prayers are great. Don't stop praying. But what if they need, in addition to prayer, some physical help? Isn't be warmed and filled sound awful similar to I'll pray for you? And that leads us to a different question. Why are we here on this planet? Are we here to make money or are we here to make a difference? 
Are you making money so that you can have a nice home and live in comfort or so that a well can be dug in Africa or an orphanage built in Haiti? Do you have these skills and talents and abilities God gave you to keep or to further the kingdom of God? And one last thought, I just encourage us not to get overwhelmed when you see the work that needs to be done. It can be overwhelming when you see all the needs. But a friend of mine who has one of the biggest servant hearts that I know has this saying, he says over and over and over, I'm not trying to change the world. Just my little corner of it. He realizes I can't help everyone, but I can help that one. It brings us to a quote from Mother Teresa that I just absolutely love. She understood it too. If I look at the mass, I will never act. But if I look at the one, I will. A quick story to illustrate. So as most of you know, I'm in healthcare, and uh, in my current capacity, I spend a lot of time, we have 10 clinics in my company, I spend a lot of time visiting various clinics while certain providers are out on vacation. And so I'll uh, get the opportunity to go work with that staff and be the provider on site for that day or that week and so forth. Well, several weeks ago, I was working down in my Lawrenceburg clinic, which is down near the Tennessee-Alabama border. And... Uh, one of the really neat aspects of my job is that uh, I'm a co-founder of the company, and when patients hear about that, they tend to want to share stories. And it's, it's really kind of neat and rewarding to hear the stories about interactions they've had with the staff and how things are going in that location, and even hear stories from the staff and so forth. So on this particular day, uh, I was finishing up a conversation with a patient, uh, a gentleman in his older, uh, later 60s, and uh, he took the time to thank me for putting together a staff there in Lawrenceburg that he considered family. I thought, oh, that's interesting. That kind of piqued my interest, right? So I kind of settled back in my chair and just kind of listened as he told me what, he, what, he, what backed that up, what made this clinic staff family for him. He said, uh, through tears, he shared a very touching story with me. And I wanted to share that story with you guys today. He, he shared that at that time, several weeks before that, that his dog had become deathly ill. And uh, as a little context, this man lives alone. He's on a fixed income, Social Security income. He had no extra. He had no reserves. He couldn't afford to take his dog to the vet. So he's like, what do I do? Where do I turn? I, I don't know what to do here. So when he came in for his visit, the provider on site noticed that he wasn't his chipper, happy, usual self. So she asked. She asked, what's going on? Now, this clinic happens to be one of our busier clinics. And so uh, for the provider to take the time to ask, reach out, and ask and invite him to share his story, to invite him to share what was going on, was a big deal. One little hiccup in that clinic day, and the whole day can be thrown off. Patients are waiting longer than they should. People might get upset. The staff goes home late. You pay overtime. Any number of things that can go into a little hiccup in that clinic day. It's just got to churn, just like a machine. But she stopped, and she asked, 
So again, he shared his story with her, talked about how his dog was ill, I have nowhere to turn, I don't have any money. After she heard his story, she said, hey, can you give me a minute? And so she left the room. He said after about 10 minutes, she came back. And she, when she came back into the room, she said, hey, I reached out to my vet. He's got time for you to go see him this afternoon. He goes, you know, that's, that's all fine and dandy. That's good, but I don't have the money. I can't afford to go. She said, don't worry about it. That's taken care of. What brings a 60-year-old man to tears? Talking about his dog, right? That was his connection. That was his friend. That was his companion. And his companion was really, really sick. He didn't know what to do. But someone took the time to listen and to move and to do something. This guy, I think this story somewhat sounds somewhat like the Good Samaritan, doesn't it? Picks him up, takes him to Kate, and says, don't worry about the money. I'll come back, and I'll take care of it. This was a real-life Good Samaritan story, and this man is telling me about it. Now, there would have been nothing wrong with her, the provider, listening to the story and saying, hey, I'll pray for you. There would have been nothing wrong with that, right? I do that all the time. I'm a very agenda-driven person. I've got things to do, things to do, tasks to complete. And I go through life a lot of times with blinders on and I miss it. I miss it. This is an opportunity to learn. Open your eyes. Take a look around. The opportunities are there. This simple act of kindness and generosity impacted this man in ways we will never understand. He was touched by Jesus through her that day. And what's really cool, like we said before, we've been invited to this process as well. We can do the same. So that's what coming down out of the stands and getting in the game looks like, isn't it? To your point, I think the Holy Spirit gives us impulses, gives us nudges, whispers in our ear, encouragements to go do things, <coughs> activities, to step in, to become involved. Usually that phrase impulses has, a, has a, you know, it gets a bad rap. When you think about impulses, well, I was, you know, you, you television shows, well, I got in an argument, <coughs> excuse me, and before long it escalated, I wasn't thinking, I just, I just pulled out the gun. While I was walking through the store, I didn't mean or think I was going to shoplift, but just on impulse, I just grabbed it and I took it. But I believe the Holy Spirit gives us impulses as well. Little nudges, little encouragements. My wife and I had a, a young man, <coughs> I apologize, my wife and I had a young man staying with us. Uh, eight years old, um, was with us for a couple of weeks, and I was taking him to the airport a couple of weeks ago, taking him back home. And they are tearing up the airport. 
Uh, it is a mess. And where you walk into the ground level of the airport, the escalator, this was like at 11 o'clock at night. And the escalator was off going from level one to level two. This isn't a flight of stairs. This is a flight of stairs. It is a monstrous flight. And the escalator was out. And I was pulling his bag behind us, and I saw it. I went, whoa, looks like we are walking. A lady was bringing her bag right behind me. And she walked up and said, I don't think so. Elevator. And she peeled off and started looking for an elevator. Off we went on this hike, up the steps. And I got to probably step number three from the top. I was almost there. And I noticed, thank you, bless you. This is service. This is an act of service. He had an impulse. uh, (laughs) And they acted on it. This is how the spirit works. (laughs) And I need it. That that hurts. An hour and a half. We had an hour and a half. (laughs) All right, I'll hurry up. So we're almost at the top of the steps. And I noticed in my peripheral vision, here comes the lady again carrying a little suitcase. And oh my word, I knew this eight-year-old boy was looking at me because he saw it too. So I said, hurry up, let's go. So I got his suitcase up to the top level and said, stay here. I'll be right back. Start running down the steps again. She was on, by that time, probably step five, and the look of relief was palpable. She said, oh, you don't need to do this, but thank you. Thank you. I think she was a salesman because she had bags of concrete, (laughs) iron bars, something in that, because I was all, I mean, after the third or fourth, oh, my word, what do you have in this lady? (laughs) No way. I mean, she could have done it, but Wow. The shame of it is, would I have done that if that eight-year-old boy hasn't been looking at me, wondering how I was going to react? Because I was doing it, admittedly, I was doing it because I knew I was being watched. But would I have done it without? What about those impulses we get when a colleague returns from vacation to leave a note on his desk to say, you were missed, and you're appreciated, glad you're back? Wouldn't it be nice to come home from vacation and you pull up in the driveway and, oh my word, somebody cut my yard. I don't have to do it. Or you get a note of encouragement or a meal when you come home from the hospital so you don't have to cook. I promise you, if you're willing to be available and you're willing to be inconvenienced, God will use you. And I'll tell you this too, I have never, ever regretted it when I did it. Amen, thank you. So Chris just experienced one of those nudges because he jumped ahead in our sermon. So I apologize for the the notes going out of order, but we're going to go back a little bit, okay? (laughs) The Holy Spirit was working, right? I have no explanation. (laughs) So there's a very important lesson that Jesus teaches in a parable found in Matthew 25. 
that's where we're headed now, yeah. So he tells the story of a rich man who's going on a journey, and he entrusts three servants with bags of gold. And uh, he gives one servant five bags, he gives another two, and he gives another one. And it's an interesting phrase that he uses in the, in the scripture there when he says, <clears throat> each according to his ability. So he, he kind of had, he knew his servants, right? He knew what they could do. He knew what they could handle. And he gave them bags of gold commensurate with their giftings. Uh, as you know, two of the servants went to work and doubled their gold while the third servant buried his gold out of fear of losing it. When the master returned, he rewarded the servants who had used their gold to gain more, and he punished the servant who had used his gold or who had buried his gold out of fear. In fact, at the end of the story, it tells us that the buried gold was actually given to the one who had ten. So those who have sometimes actually get more. I've witnessed that myself. But this guy had proven to be trustworthy, and so he was entrusted with more. I believe that God calls us each according to his or her abilities to use our gifts and talents for his kingdom work. A question we need to ask ourselves is this. What talents are we burying, both individually and as a community? If you think about it. We're like puzzle pieces, right? You put us together and we form this real beautiful picture, a body of believers that worships at 4th Avenue. And there are giftings and talents that we together have that individually we would never have. What are we burying? We are an extremely gifted body of believers. What are we going to do about it? I think it's important to notice that the rich man gave the bags of gold in accordance with each servant's abilities. Maybe we need to follow his lead, and I think Chris is going to talk about this in a few minutes, and spend some time discerning what each of our giftings, each of our abilities are, and how to put ourselves to work to meet the needs of those around us, all to the glory of God. What if you feel like you have nothing to offer? as if your talents and giftings couldn't possibly benefit others. In Matthew 14, we read the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, 5,000 men plus. So it's probably more in the lines of 12 to 15,000. And uh, he does so with, what, five loaves and two fish? Sometimes we bring very little to the table. But when Jesus gets involved... It just expands and grows and multiplies far beyond what we ever could imagine. The work of Jesus grows things. In 1 Peter 4.10, it says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Bring your gifts and talents. Bring them however small you think they might be, offer them to be used in his service and watch Jesus multiply your efforts far greater than we ever imagined. Maybe you or I are the five loaves and two fish talent level. That's okay. 
we just get to see Jesus work that much more, don't we? One other thought. In Hebrews 6.10, we are told God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. So although clearly not the healthiest motivation in the world, the one serving others is often blessed as much as or potentially even more than the one being served. Not a great motivation, but doesn't it just sound like something God would do? Shower blessings on those who bless others. One other point to ponder. As believers, it's very important that we remember to give credit where credit is due. Quick little story. Years ago, Jennifer and I got married when I had just finished my junior year in college. So I had to put some food on the table for our new marriage. So to cover those expenses, I took a job as a server at a restaurant here in town. One Sunday after attending church, I rushed over to work the lunch shift. It was at Houston's restaurant. is isn't even in Tennessee or Nashville anymore, but it's a good restaurant. Um, I headed over to work my lunch shift, and uh, there was this large table that I was taking care of. It was a family. They had obviously just come from church. They were all in their Sunday best. And so I, I, the, the meal went great. Um, the, the conversation was good. The interactions were good. Obviously, they enjoyed themselves. I enjoyed serving them. Um, as the meal came to a close, the father, with the whole family watching and listening on, he looked at me and he said, hey, there, there's, there's something different about you. What's different about you? And with a whole table of eyes watching and listening, <laughs> to use Chris's football analogy, I fumbled the ball. I said, oh, I'm just having a great day. That was 31 years ago. And I still remember it like it was yesterday. I had an opportunity. They were, they had just come from church. They were in a good place. I had just come from church. I was in a good place. The Holy Spirit was in that moment. And I fumbled the ball. Now, God has long ago forgiven me for that. I have forgiven myself for that. But the point is, don't let opportunities slip through your finger to turn it back to him, to give him the credit. Um, Jesus will be given the praise he is due. He will be given the praise he is due. Pray that God will help you and me to develop the courage to speak freely of Jesus as we serve others. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. I think we would all agree. We don't want to be the generations whose silence causes the rocks to have to cry out. Give God the glory he is due. Amen. Let's look at a couple more scriptures as we start winding down a bit. Hebrews 13, 16. And do not forget to do good and share with others for such sacrifices. God is pleased. 
I used to have the newspaper clipping from the Houston Chronicle from years and years ago. I could not find it, but thankfully Google, I was able to come up with a su summary of it. Let me share this story that illustrates this scripture better than I ever could. One night at 11.30 p.m., an older African-American woman was standing on the side of an Alabama highway trying to endure a lashing rainstorm. Her car had broken down and she desperately needed a ride. Soaking wet, this was before cell phones, 1965. Soaking wet, she decided to flag down the next car. A young white man stopped to help her, which was generally unheard of during this very difficult and traumatic time in the mid-60s. The man took her to safety, helped her get assistance, and put her into a taxi cab. She seemed to be in a big hurry, but wrote down his address and thanked him. Seven days went by, and a knock came on the man's door. To his surprise, a giant console color TV was delivered to his home. A special note was attached, it read, to thank you so much for assisting me on the highway the other night. The rain drenched not only my clothes, but also my spirits. Then you came along. Because of you, I was able to make it to my dying husband's bedside just before he passed away. God bless you for helping me and unselfishly serving others. The note was signed sincerely, Mrs. Nat King Colt. I love it when the Spirit moves and puts thoughts and impulses in our minds and we follow through with that. But Jesus makes it even harder not only to do this to strangers, but to do it for our enemies. Luke 6.35, love your enemies, do good for them, and lend, them, lend to them. Lend them money? Are you kidding? They're my enemy. Not only lend to them without expecting anything back. Well, that's just giving them money. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. You know, because of my work, I'm exposed to and see a lot of injustice. I see a lot of yucky stuff. I see a lot of unfairness in the world and in our community. But anytime I start feeling a little self-righteous, I remember this and read this because it's on my desk, if we can put up this quote. When I look around at all the social injustice and all the people that are neglected and forgotten, and those that are lonely or hurting in my community and all over the world, I want to cry out to God and ask, why aren't you doing anything about it? <coughs> but I don't. Because I'm afraid he'll ask me the same thing. Why aren't you doing anything about it? One final question I have for us before Chris brings it to a close. If the son of the great I am 
made time to serve others, shouldn't we take notice? Shouldn't that get our attention? Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. If the man with irrefutably the highest calling on every single moment of his life while here on earth took the time to pause, take a knee, stoop down, get his hands dirty, and wash his disciples' feet, shouldn't we make it a priority to do the same? After he had finished washing their feet and returned to his place at the table, John 13, 15 says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. Our mission, if we choose to accept it, both individually and as a body, is to go and do likewise. I'm so grateful to be here at 4th Avenue, and I'm grateful that I was able to raise my kids here at 4th Avenue, where we preach grace and not works. See, I grew up being taught works is the way to get to heaven. You have to earn it. And I didn't hear lessons about grace till I was in my 30s. <clears throat> I heard lessons and sermons threatening and shaming me into work using verses like James 4, 17. If anyone then knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, it is to them a sin. If you get one of those urges and you don't do it, you're going to burn. Fortunately, we've gotten away from all that condemning, harsh preaching. But in so doing, I just hope we haven't become complacent. To me, this is a heart issue. Are we serving out of guilt or out of gratitude? Are we, what is our motivation? Are we doing it because of shame? Have you ever thought about it asking, why is it that the Good Samaritan stopped? What was his motivation? He didn't know this guy. He didn't have anything in common with him. He was never going to see him again. Why stop and help? Or for that matter, why did the priest and the Levite pass him by on the other side? Was it, I feel better than him? I don't want to become unclean. I'm late for an appointment. I don't know. But this is a heart issue. Let me close by sharing a story that my father told as a true story, but he was a preacher. Was it really a true story or not? I don't know. But he said it was. But he told often a story about a lady who was married to an unbeliever and a tyrant who placed all kinds of demands, all kinds of of uh, things he wanted done by this lady. Even to the point he had made a list. Here are the tasks and accomplishments I want to see every day. 
And here's the list of every week. And these I want you to do at least once a month. And I demand this be done. And he was verbally abusive and suspected physically abusive. And she was living in hell. And I don't remember the story, but somehow or another the man passed away. And a couple years later, though, she married a godly Christian man who absolutely adored her, and she adored him back. And they were constantly doing nice things for each other, and they were just so blissfully happy. But one day she was cleaning out this drawer, and she saw and found the list. And she got that pit in her stomach because it brought back these horrific memories about this tyrant of a husband. But before she threw it away, she glanced at it, and then she started reading it. And she realized all those things I was demanding of this tyrant husband to do, I'm doing all those things now and, and more. And she was completely unaware of it because she was doing it out of love. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at my life and my pitiful, pitiful situation of sin in my life, and I realize how totally and truly unworthy I am, I'm filled with such enormous gratitude because I am saved in spite of that. Matthew 25, the end of time, what's the criteria that the Lord is going to use to separate the sheep from the goats, the saved from the lost, and what is it that he uses? What's the criteria? This is important stuff. It's so simple. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. And the righteous are completely oblivious and unaware. When do we do that for you? They weren't doing it out of obligation. They were just doing it because that's what Christians do. They weren't trying to earn brownie points. They were motivated out of love. And that changes your whole perspective. That service is not a punishment. Service is not a drudgery. Service is an act of love. It's an act of gratitude. The second ten tenet of our mission statement is to serve others. And Dean Barm is going to be putting together a series and some classes about discipleship and learning our spiritual gifts and ways that we can serve others. What are some specific things that we can do? May God grant us the courage to step out and respond to opportunities when they're presented to us. That our eyes are open to the needs of the people around us. That we can become the hands and feet of Jesus. That we can get out of our comfortable pews and come down to the field and actually get in the game. But yes, we can humble ourselves and with joyful hearts wrap a towel around our waist, get on our knees, and wash feet.